Open up your Bibles, if you haven't already, the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you do not have a Bible, we'll get one to you, and I'll tell you what page it's going to be on. 987 is where we are, and so 987, just raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. You're going to want to uh, read these verses, because these verses are uh, today Paul's lesson on uh, sex, sexuality. And so today's talk is going to be a little bit uh, unique in the sense that uh, it's not very often that we, we get to talk about sex and sexuality in a healthy, redemptive, like what does honor, what's going to honor the Lord kind of a way. But we live in a day and a time, and because the fact that you are a human being where all of us at some level uh, are, are affected by uh, sexuality, our own sexuality and the sexuality of others. And, uh, and if it weren't for sex, you wouldn't be here. So I'm, I'm uh, all right, so here we go. Um, Paul, Paul has done some work here. That's right, amen. Paul has done some work here in 1 Thessalonians, the first three chapters. And uh, he's, done, he's done a lot of just affirming the Thessalonians for their faith and for their love and for having turned from idols, as he says in chapter 1. And, and he recognizes their present condition as being really uh, notable, as being very, very uh, good. And, and he's encouraged in his own faith by their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, their receiving of the gospel was real, and he knows it because he left, and in spite of opposition, They've continued to follow Christ. He's encouraged by this. But in chapter 4, he begins talking about some things that, that uh, need to be addressed among the Thessalonians, uh, the Christian church in Thessalonica, because they're not perfect yet. I mean, we can all identify with this, right? I mean, there are things in each of our lives that we could say, you know what, I'm proud of these things before the Lord. But all of us are in process. There's not a perfect person in here. One thing that annoys me about church culture is sometimes you'll go into a church or hear a sermon where it gives you the impression that everybody's really um, kind of perfect. Well, we're not. And one thing that I want this church to be about is, is, a, is a sort of honest conversation like, hey, we're imperfect and we do struggle. And one of the things that people struggle with is is in godly understanding and application of sex and sexuality, which is the, one of the first things that, that Paul brings up here. So I'm going to be uh, teaching uh, just the first few verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So would you stand to your feet? I'm going to read this passage, and then I'm going to simply tell you what it means. All right? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Are you ready? Look to your neighbor and say, let's do this. Okay, people, you got to wake up. I know it's rainy outside. Uh, after this service, I'm going to be getting in my car with my four children. We're going to be driving to Florida. So I need for you guys to be awake, or I'm just going to stop and just walk out and go get packed up and leave. All right, here we go. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's what it says. Finally then, brothers. This is a term of endearment. Of, of he's, he's their friend, their mentor, their, their pastor from a distance. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality 
that each of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. These verses are the first part of a larger conversation that Paul is having that are really about helping the Thessalonians to understand how to love. Now, next week, Brandon will be bringing the message and a few of the passages that he will deal with will be about brotherly love. So it's a more positive, like you need to do this in terms of how you love one another. But this week, these first eight verses are about how we love each other by by sticking with God's plan for sex and sexuality. So we, we, we are, main idea, cultivating Christian love as a larger category, but specifically for these eight verses, um, we, we will see that deviating from God's plan for sex is unloving. It's an unloving thing to do. Now, this, this idea of love and and taking care of each other. Um, It's always fun to talk about pictures of this, right? And to, 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 to think about how we, we ought to be doing this more and more, as, as Paul tells the Thessalonians uh, in the first couple of verses of first, uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. We ought to do, I mean, it's good. I mean, you're loving, right? But, but you ought to do this more and more. And as a parent, I mean, I, I see my kids loving one another, but I always want to foster it more and more love. And uh, something happened uh, yesterday that, um, that required me to take um, my son to the emergency room. And uh, so I took him to the emergency room and, um, and his brother, Price, had to take Price to the emergency room and, and, uh, and Kobe wanted to go. And as a parent, for me, it was just really sweet three hours, no, whatever it was. Um, it's really sweet time of seeing Kobe love his brother. In fact, we have a picture here of Kobe taking care of him in the doctor's office. It looks like he's jamming that thing down his throat, right? He's like, come on. Um, so, so I didn't do anything and we were in the emergency room. The nurse knew that Kobe wanted to help. So the nurse would, you know, Kobe put that little thing on his arm to get his heart rate and to take his temperature and all of this. And, and so there's this really beautiful picture of, um, of brotherly love. And so I want to get that picture in your mind. And just as a side note, the reason that Price is in the emergency room was because of Kobe. And, uh, and so maybe that is also something we can think about love. He, he's okay. Uh, I thought he broke his collarbone or dislocated his shoulder, but he just had a really bad contusion on his shoulder. So anyway, thank, thank goodness. Um, although, is it wrong? I'm in the emergency room and I'm realizing like he's not really hurt and I'm just mad. I'm just like, I'm paying for this. Like I want some sort of injury to legitimize. I know. Um, I know, I need to be sanctified also. Um, okay, so, so we see this, so we want to talk here about loving, and, and the passage is really about um, specifically um, that de- deviating from God's plan for sex is unloving. These people are still in process, 
Um, and, uh, and, and Paul says here, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. So it's not a casual request. It's an urging, a, a, a pleading with them that they walk uh, in a manner to please God. That, that, and it assumes, this passage assumes that, every, that everybody that's listening needs to change. And the first thing he mentions is this idea of abstaining from sexual immorality. Look there in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Do you know what the word sanctification means? It means the process of you being made holy. So uh, the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives to make us holy, to make us more and more like Christ. It's this mysterious uh, way that we're, we're grown and we're changed and we become the kind of people that God wants us to become for his glory and for his fame and also for our enjoyment of him. Uh, so this is the will of God, your sanctification, and he brings up right away that you abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, the Bible reveals that God intends sex to be between a man and a woman within the marriage covenant. So we know that there are behaviors sexually that are not the way it was meant to be. There are rules. Now, the Thessalonians lived in a pagan environment in which sexual looseness was not only practiced, but it was encouraged. Um, The general attitude towards sex and sexuality is, is maybe best illustrated by a quotation from Demosthenes in this oration against Nerea. Here's what it says. We keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day bodily needs, but we have wives to produce legitimate children and to serve as trustworthy guardians of our homes. That was the attitude, the prevailing attitude among the Greeks, the culture that these Christians are living in. In the religious part of the Greek culture, prostitution was considered a priestly prerogative. And extramarital sex was sometimes an act of worship. So it was really, really messed up. What Paul is saying here is that God has created sex with boundaries. I mean, we need not be confused about this. Sex is, the idea is from God. I mean, God tells Adam and Eve in the garden, hey, uh, I want for you to be fruitful and multiply. That means have a lot of sex and, and have lots of children, enjoy yourselves, and then, when, you know, do it. God, it's God's idea. But Paul is saying that with, with that, we can't not imagine or we cannot think that God doesn't have certain boundaries. And you should know, and I've said this before, without boundaries, there's no real freedom. I mean, sometimes when you're young, especially like kind of getting your teenage years, you think, if I just had no boundaries, I'd have total freedom. Well, if there are no boundaries, then there is no freedom. Boundaries is what helps us to understand freedom and to know where we're supposed to go and how we can enjoy uh, the world around us. Well, we know that the culture that these Christians were living in in Thessalonica was really screwed up in terms of their understanding of, of um, sex and sexuality. But just for a minute, um, let, let me just comment on what we know to be true about our own culture. Online pornography, it's a $12 billion industry. Every screen that has access to the internet 
can see every any vile image at any moment, almost anywhere. It's the world we live in. We live in a day where premarital cohabitation is has become common, and if you think that. That may not be God's best and you are seen as an old fogey or narrow-minded or, or whatever. And we know statistically that one in four women live with a man by the age of 23 and four by 30. Now, uh, um, I want to be careful here because I know that even as I'm saying these things that it, it touches closely to some of your personal lives. And uh, I want you to understand what God's word says but I also, um, I also want this, if you feel like rebuke, I want in the Bible when there's rebuke, it's always in view of restoring. It's never rebuke. Uh, I'm not, as a preacher, called to speak words of condemnation. Um, I want for there to be a, a rebuke, gentle or firm, or however the Holy Spirit causes it to land on your heart, but I also want there to be a restoring. I want there to, you to sense that we're sitting together and I'm telling you this and genuinely love you enough to tell you. Adultery is a major issue in our society. A study done by the journal, and it's found in the Journal of Marital and Family Therapy, just a few months ago reveals that 41% of people um, who were married will admit to infidelity, either physical or emotional infidelity. So the kind of world that Paul is talking to these Christians in is the kind of world we live in. There's something interesting here, even as I say that, because Paul is addressing the brothers. He's addressing the people within the church. So Paul's not writing this as a condemnation of those people that are outside the church. What he's actually doing is instructing those people that are inside the church. And what we understand to be true about what was going on among the Christians in Thessalonica is that there was some sexual immorality. There were some that were living in a culture that had shaped them in their worldview about sex and sexuality in such a way that they lived like the, the world did. And what they thought was normal as a follower of Christ It looked exactly like what everybody else thought was normal. And what Paul is saying is like, hey, let's back up here a minute. When you are in Christ, things begin to change and you begin to to align yourself with the way God wants things to be. So Paul's not dealing with the issue of sexual impurity for people outside the church. He's actually dealing with it for people that are inside the church. And backing up here, I mentioned online pornography. In a survey I read recently, um, half of all men in, in the survey was done in the church. Half of all men had admitted to viewing pornography within the last, uh, I saw one that said the last week, um, and the other one said the last month. So recently. 
And uh, let's, let's not make a mistake here. This isn't just men that are viewing pornography. Women view pornography also. And, um, I mean, the, the just incredible popularity of books like Fifty Shades of Grey and just the, the sexual deviance that's portrayed in a book like that, that it's become so normal. On more than one occasion, I've been swimming at, the, at, at, at a pool like the YMCA, and I've looked up, and there's been some woman reading Fifty Shades of Grey at the side of the pool, and it just makes me feel a little creepy, to be quite honest. <laughs> I like it. So, um, let, let, me, let me pause here, and, and because I know this touches home to um, at least some of you. And the church isn't always a place where we can come and say, you know what, I'm struggling with pornography. What typically begins to happen is it begins to just, you begin to isolate yourself. It begins to deaden your soul, then you just quit participating in the community of faith. But I want you to know that this is a place where you can be honest about those struggles and, and you can find help, you can find healing. I promise you that among the leaders of our church, uh, this, this struggle, this battle for purity and abstaining from viewing pornography, it's not a foreign idea. I mean, you, would, you wouldn't come and, and, and honestly, I've heard it all. <laughs> and, and, and perfection in this area is not a requirement for participation in our church at all. There are a couple of tools I'll just put before you while we're on the topic regarding uh, pornography. Uh, one is called Covenant Eyes. It's a filter for your computer. Uh, I and all the guys that are on the staff are required to have this on their computers. It's, a, it's, a, um, it's an accountability um, piece where it emails to someone question, you know, the, if, they, if it picks up on questionable sites and what's that. And it's just an accountability thing. CovenantEyes.com is one. Also, I recently came into a book um, that's really, really good. I'm reading it. It's called Surfing for God, and it's an, it deals with this issue of sex and sexual addiction and specifically related to those that find um, an outlet for their addiction by viewing pornography online. Surfing for God, and um, forgive me, I can't remember the name of it, but I mean the name of the... Uh, the author, but Michael something. But anyway, you can, you can look at it on Amazon and, and uh, it'll be good for you. Uh, speaking of premarital cohabitation, I mean, we're asking the question, these are issues in a world, but are they issues in a church? Uh, yes. It has become very commonplace for people to live together. And here's typically what happens. Uh, two people that really honestly, sincerely love the Lord want... Um, want to make good decisions, but it becomes impractical than to do anything other than live together. And so you say, well, financially, we, we, we needed to do it, or, or um, we didn't like the drive time between each other's houses, or you know, it didn't make sense, and all this kind of stuff. And to me, that, it's just, I know it sounds like it makes sense, but at the end of the day, what you're saying is this, I would rather offend the holy God than inconvenience myself. Acting married before you have, before God, and before people made a promise for lifelong, a lifelong commitment is, is, uh, is, is not okay. I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm just trying to be honest with you. And what, what happens sometimes for guys, um, 
when a woman is willing to live with him and give herself sexually to him, why in the world would you think that he would actually then, I mean, he's got everything he wants. He's got a live-in girlfriend who will have sex with him. Why in the world would he want to commit himself to her? It's like you're giving yourself physically before they're willing to give their heart to you and commit to you before people. It just doesn't make sense. And, and, and I know what may be going through your mind. You don't understand that you don't. No, I, I, maybe I don't. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm stupid. But I do know that God has a plan for you and for you to experience sex and for you to experience covenant with another person, a commitment in a way that fulfills you more deeply than you could ever imagine. And the problem is um, what we do sometimes when, when we... When our, when our bodies long for, um, like our souls long for nutritious um, living the way God plans it, is what we do is we just feast on fast, easy, cheap food. And so we don't know any different. And what I'm telling you is that God has a plan. Adultery. Is adultery an issue in the church? Yes. Let's move forward before everybody gets up and leaves. All right. Um, so he's dealing with sexual purity in the church, and, um, and this is something that, that we should be honest and talk about. Verse 4. Here's God's will. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, uh, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So a boundary is self-control. Now here's the thing about self-control. You don't you don't become self-controlled by trying to be self-controlled. That's a, that, will, that will turn you into a, a lunatic. I mean, you will go crazy trying to do that. Um, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit happen not because we try to have them. A fruit of the Spirit comes from us knowing, seeing, and savoring God. That's how they come. Self-control is a result of knowing God. Paul says this here to the Thessalonians. The Gentiles, they live like this because they do not know God. And everybody lacks self-control. Everybody struggles with this to some degree, in some area. And, and, and most of us... Um, some of us could, could use some more self-control in how we um, experience sex in the way, so that we can experience the way God wants us to. Paul's already said that the Gentiles live in a culture where sexual looseness is encouraged, um, and it's because they do not know God personally. So just two points here. If a person does not know God, he or she may not appreciate that idea of self-control. So as you're sharing Christ with people, don't start at like their sexuality and their sexual behaviors. It won't even make sense. This is a problem we have. We're, we try to, um, we're trying to like throw this cloak of moralism over the city or over people we're ministering to. And the Bible says that their hearts are veiled. Until they see Jesus as worth giving their lives to, they will not understand God's design for anything. 
And so if a person does not know God, for you to get into a debate with them about you know, what's God's best for sex and sexuality is foolish, honestly. I mean, if they ask, you certainly can tell them what you think the Bible says, but you should know this. They may or may not value self-control. In fact, uh, the idea of self-control and that there are boundaries to a really, really liberal person is, is just crazy because the very essence of liberal thinking is that there are no rules. You can do whatever you want, whatever you want, however you want, and don't tell me I can't. That's how we can justify... Oh, never mind. All right, number two. Um, my mom has already quit watching. I know this. I mean, she's pro- she watches. I know she's already quit watching. All right. Um, so to, to, another thing here. To restore God's design for sex in our culture, we must be first about introducing people to God. It is not enough to tell them that sex, uh, that some particular kind of sex is immoral, um, and uh, unfortunately, the church is known for being hateful in how we talk about God's design for sex. But what I'm saying to you is this, is the way that we get into the culture and see transformation in our culture in this area of sex and sexuality, it's not by telling people the rules from the Bible about sex and sexuality. It's about proclaiming the gospel, telling people about Jesus who can change lives. Because the last thing in the world we want to do is communicate to people that God is about suffocating your desires. Because you know what the gospel does? The gospel, when it enters our lives, it awakens our desires. It awakens our desires for the right things. Can I get an amen, people? Amen. So, verse 6. So self-control is the idea here, and that happens when people know God and we deal with our own hearts and, and the lives of others, um, not by trying to be self-controlled first, but by, but by preaching and understanding who, who God is and, 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 and asking God to reveal to our hearts the truth of the gospel. Verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in these matters because the Lord is an adventure in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. So not only are you responsible for yourselves sexually, but whenever you commit sexual immorality, you are assaulting another person. And you ought to know that God defends victims. He does. And they may not know that you're assaulting them, but, but you are. This is, this is why the crime um, that makes us the most angry is when an adult hurts a powerless child in this way. It's because it's so offensive. They're a victim and, and we want justice. It's, it's because... This is not the way God meant it to be. So he, he says these things. He says, um, your sanctification and, and sex, you know, abstain from sexual immorality. We talked about the culture of, of, that was around them and the culture that obviously been in the church, our culture, what's going on maybe even in our church. <clears throat> Um, and we talked about self-control and how do we get self-control? Well, we, we have to know God. It doesn't start with us just trying to be self-controlled. We, we become self-controlled by knowing God and seeing God and savoring Jesus. And the more clearly we see Jesus, the more something happens deep within us and, and we experience uh, transformation. 
um, we, we, we understand from what Paul's saying that <clears throat> sexual sin is not only an offense against God, but we're, we're assaulting another person. And um, it's not okay. And then he grounds all this in verses 7 and 8, and here's what he says. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives this Holy Spirit to you. And here's the thing about this. If you choose to ignore these passages, you're not disregarding me. And I get it. I mean, I've heard it. Like, Russell, you're, that's very old-fashioned to think like that. What Paul's saying here is whoever disregards this dis- disregards not man, but God. And you know what you really miss out on when you live a life filled with sexual immorality? You miss out on getting to know God, enjoying God, experiencing the kind of life that you were created to experience. And I'll say this as gently as possible. Whether or not something is true has nothing to do with whether or not you believe it. So with all this, um, where do we go from here? I want to read you C.S. Lewis' quote. As I begin to wrap this up. It says, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us in Christ. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. These verses that really speak to us living lives that honor the Lord are not about, not about keeping you from something. It's about pointing you to something. And as I've already mentioned, God isn't trying to kill your sexual desire. He's trying to awaken it and direct it in the right direction. And so the question is, how, how will we respond? So there are some of you in here that are convicted. I mean, you're like, man, I, I struggle with pornography. Look at pornography. Nobody knows about it or somebody knows about it. Maybe you're one of those that looks at it every day. Maybe you're one of those that looks at it every six months or, you know, whatever. But you just, you just need some, some hope. Here's the hope in this. Um, <clears throat> you don't have to be a slave to anything. There's freedom in Christ. The gospel still applies to your life. God has not walked away from you. In fact, God is even, even in this moment that you feel conviction, God is drawn close. So repent. Maybe it feels like for the one millionth time, repent. Turn to Jesus. Let him begin to, to clear out those dark hurt places. There's freedom and there's grace and there's mercy. 
Some of you have in your mind a God that is hard and has his fist clenched and is ready to just pound you for your sin. But I want for you to get in your mind a God that is so gracious and merciful that he came to earth. Some of the first people that he touched were the people that no one would touch, the lepers, the immoral people, the hated people. This is who God is then, and this is who God is now. You may choose not to repent, and someday you will stand before God. And you will give an account for your life. It's your choice. For those of you that need help beyond just... um, in your heart, that exchange, you go, God, I need, I need you. I need your help. I need you to forgive me. You want to have a conversation with somebody. Um, um, this is the value of the church. This is the value of community. You know, one of the things I mentioned, the guys on the staff, one of the things that we do um, as we get together and pray is I'll just ask them, How, how's it going? And, and there are times that um, one of us or more of us will confess, you know, I'm struggling in this area. And it's, it's never, I mean, you can ask them, it's never been, how can you get out of here? There's no place for that junk in here. No, it's like, hey man, we're with you. We're with you. We're, we're gonna get up under, the, we're gonna do the heavy lifting on this with you because we love you and this is what the local church is supposed to look like. This is the value of being in community is having people who, who will help you in these areas. Maybe your church experience has been something other than that. I don't know what to say about that other than that's not how it is here. So you need to reach out and you need to say something to somebody. And um, maybe you feel comfortable saying something to me. You can shoot me an email. You can write me a note. You can call me. Uh, Or if you say, I want to talk to somebody. If you're a a lady and you want to talk to somebody, there are women in here who have have been deep in sexual addiction and are experiencing freedom from that, that I know would be happy to counsel you and to help you. Maybe you're just practically wondering, well, how, I'm living with somebody. How do I move beyond that? You know what? If you need some money, I'll help you. Jeannie and I will figure out a way. We'll help you so you can make this transition um, and to, to being someone who's obedient, obedient to God. It's this important. There's a passage when Jesus is talking to really, really worn out religious people. And I think that's what sexual immorality does, is it just begins to wear out your soul. You begin to, um, you know, realize it, but everything gets dried up. There's a passage where Jesus is talking to these really worn out religious leaders and they're worn out because they have been so focused on looking religious, they've neglected their own hearts. And he says to them, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Rest.